This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Cronial contains descriptions of death inquests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Coronial. In this episode, we'll be looking at the coroner's inquest into the deaths of Stephanie Jane King, Ella Jane Cabillo, and Jacob Matthew Cabillo, all of whom passed away in April 2017 from drowning after the car that they were in lost traction with the road and slid into an adjacent river. So this coroner's report doesn't go too much into the background of each of the decedents, um, but Stephanie and her partner Matthew had three children together. At the time of the incident, Ella Jane was 11 years old, Chloe was nine, and Jacob was seven. They were a loving family, and Stephanie was a devout mother who loved her children and her community dearly. They lived together in their family home in the Tweed Valley region of northeastern New South Wales. So the Tweed Valley region is an area that is prone to flooding. I think just in the last four or five months, they've had at least two flooding events. Mm -hmm. But this particular weather event that occurred in 2017 was a result of tropical cyclone Debbie, which made landfall as a Category 4 cyclone on the 28th of March 2017 near Airlie Beach in Queensland, which is some 1,200 kilometres north of the Tweed Valley region. Once Debbie made landfall up in the sort of central region, I guess, of, of Queensland, um, she rapidly weakened into an ex-tropical cyclone mm. and the system continued to move down through Queensland and into the northern New South Wales region, causing significant rainfall which resulted in flooding and extensive damage in southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales. The extensive rainfall in these areas predominantly occurred on the 30th and 31st of March 2017, but continued for a few days after this. This heavy rain caused major flooding in the river systems around the Tweed Valley where the King Kabilo family lived, causing many roads to become cut off and impassable. So on Monday the 3rd of April 2017, the rainfall had finally stopped and Stephanie and Matthew and her family were at home and they were aware that the flooding had caused damage to their local primary school. So Stephanie mentioned to Matthew that she might pass by the school on the way home from running an errand to see if she could assist with the clean-up effort at the school. This was on a Monday and the school was hoping to open up the next day. So she mm. thought... Let's go along to the school and see if there's anything we can do to help. Just trying to do a good deed, hey? Just mm. trying to help out her community. That's right. So that morning, Stephanie left home with her three children in the car, which was a Hyundai IMAX van. Size? It was an eight passenger. Oh, like okay. So moderate Toronto size. size. Yeah, size. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So a decent size. I don't know. When you said Hyundai, I was thinking of an i30. So <laughs> that's, that's what <laughs> I thought as well. But then, then it's, it's, it's a van. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Eight passenger. So after running her errand and stopping by the school, Stephanie started driving back home with Ella Jane, her eldest child, in the front passenger seat. Chloe was sitting behind Ella Jane in the rear passenger side seat and Jacob was sitting next to Chloe in a child seat. All the occupants in the car were wearing their seatbelts at this time. 
Due to the flooding, the usual road that Stephanie drove down to get home from the school was closed. And as a result, Stephanie drove down, I should have looked up the pronunciation of this road, Dulguigan Road to make her way home. Stephanie drove a distance of about 10.8 kilometres along the road prior to the accident and had at that point successfully navigated a number of turns and bends in the road. Around 1.30pm, her van lost control because of mud and silt on the road. It started to rotate in a clockwise direction onto the right-hand side of the road and slipped further across over the bank of the Tweed River, which hugs one side of Dulguigan Road. At that time, there was no physical barrier between the road and the river. And presumably that's just because it's out in the country and it's not a built-up metropolitan area that has mm. lots of barriers and it's that kind of thing. It's just a back road. It's just that, a back road, yeah. Yeah. a country road. As the van skidded into the water, one of the windows hit a rock and shattered and Chloe, who was sitting in the rear passenger side, was able to get out of the van shortly after it entered the water. She was likely assisted by her mother to get out of the van. And how old was she? She was nine. Right. So Chloe ran a distance in bare feet to a nearby house to try and get help for her family. She got hold of someone who ran back down to the river with her, by which time a crowd had formed at the site. So there was obviously a number of houses along the road and there were some people who saw Mm. what had happened, the van enter the river. And it was a point of note throughout the coroner's report. The coroner noted how brave young Chloe was. Mm. She'd just, you know. That would have been so terrifying. Being swept yep. into a river. Um, managed to get out. Managed to get out. Would have been cold. Would have been mm. completely saturated. Had no shoes on. And um, it's pretty Still quick. was able Quick-minded of a nine-year-old child yep. to be like, okay, I need to get out. I need to get out of the river. I need to run. I need to find someone. I need to mm. knock on someone's door and grab yep. someone and get help. And that challenge, because I imagine all she would have wanted to have done would have been to try to help. To drop back in. And save yeah. her family as and well. And save her so, family. But no, she did the absolute right thing yeah. by doing that, which is pretty incredible for a nine-year-old. I don't think many adults mm, would be yeah. able to do that. Yeah. yeah. So as I said, there was a crowd that had formed at the site and a number of witnesses had phoned triple zero. The first call was made at 1.37 p.m. and multiple agencies uh, ended up responding. Some of the local residents jumped into the river at the site of the skid marks, which is not advised. Dangerous, yeah. And they continued to dive down into the river to see if they could find anyone, but the river was brown, freezing and flowing rapidly. Mm. The first responders arrived at the scene around 1.50pm, so about 20 minutes after the car had gone into the river. On arriving at the scene, the police sergeant noted that he saw a covering of mud on the roadway and that the Tweed River had broken its banks during the flooding and when the river had subsided, there was mud left on the road that was extremely slippery. I think we've all... Absolutely. (laughs) All very recently... Slipped on some mud, like a big patch of mud when you didn't realise it was going to be so slippery and you walk on it and... I've also just, like, learnt with all the recent floodings as well how much debris Mm -hmm. is built up and how muddy and murky those waters are when they've been churned up like that in floods as well. Mm -hmm. And it does leaves a layer. Yeah. Yeah, that layer of silt and sludge. Until you've seen it, you don't quite realise, like, how – like, you think when things are flooding that it's just going to be clear water. Mm. Not at all. Yeah, no. Not even close. Murky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and the sediment stays yeah. on where whatever surface it's been through. So the police sergeant co- actually commented that to get to the scene, he had to drive very slowly and he himself had skidded off the road at one point um, onto the grass verge. Um, yeah, right. That would have been terrifying. Yeah, mm. so pretty scary for him as well. So shortly after the first responders arrived, they began assembling boats and workers who were trained in water rescue. An owner of a private boat also approached the police and offered for them to use his boat because it had a sonar device attached to it. So using that boat, they were able to find the location of the van, which was submerged about three to five metres south of the northern bank of the river. So it hadn't travelled It hadn't travelled very far. Yeah. Rescue operations continued until the late afternoon, but by about 3.10pm, it became clear that no one would have survived the accident apart from Chloe. And the operation was switched from a rescue to a recovery operation. The police were able to source police divers who were flown into the area the next morning on the 4th of April, and they were able to retrieve the bodies of Stephanie, Ella Jane and Jacob. On retrieval of the bodies, the divers noted that Ella Jane's seatbelt was unbuckled, and it appeared that Stephanie was trying to unbuckle Jacob's seatbelt when they succumbed to the drowning. External examination autopsies were conducted and the cause of death for each of the victims was determined as drowning. So following this tragedy, the crash investigation unit examined the condition of the van. It was a relatively new van which was purchased new by the family in 2012, so five years old at the time. It was an automatic front-wheel drive that seated eight people. It was in good condition with no mechanical defects. However, the rear tyres had poor tread depths that were just below the legal limit. That seems very standard for any kind of family vehicle, though. Yeah, exactly right. Um, However, on evidence, the main cause of the accident was found to be the mud and silt on the road, which made the driving conditions treacherous for any vehicle. Mm. And the conditions of the rear tyres may not have played any contributory role in the accident. Yeah. Yeah, right. And this was supported by the evidence of a number of locals who had driven on the road that day where their tyres had been or had perfect tread, but they still slid on the mud. So one witness, in fact, who'd driven along the road about half an hour before the accident in a car that had well-serviced tyres had hit a patch of mud on the road and had skidded from one side of the road to the other. So just, yeah. Dangerous road. Dangerous road, but just like poor luck that it, Mm. travelled them that far into the banks versus all these other people that had near misses. Mm. Yeah, a lot okay. of, it seems like a lot of people had near misses on that yeah. day as well. So witnesses to the incident noted that Stephanie was not driving very fast at all and appeared to be driving very cautiously and this was supported by the lack of substantial skid marks on the road and the position of the vehicle in the river. As Alice mentioned, it didn't travel very far, so she was obviously wasn't driving fast yeah. Yeah. in order for it to launch very far. So it was concluded by the coroner that Stephanie was driving quite slow at the time of the incident. So in terms of the road itself, Dalguigan Road in North Tumblegum runs along the Tweed River and is in a rural environment with a number of fence paddocks on either side of the road. There's no curbs or gutters along the side of the road and there's no breakdown area either on the side of the road. So it's just a general sort of outback town. But it's still Bitumen Road, yeah? It's still Bitumen, yes. And vegetation and trees come sort of right up to the side. But no breakdown lane as in like there's no extra space. There's no extra space off the side. side off the side of the road it's a one lane each way road 
and the section of the road where the incident occurred, the speed limit was 60 kilometers an hour for trucks and 100 kilometers an hour for cars. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. So she still could have been going a reasonable pace. Uh, I think they were saying that she probably wasn't going over 50 k's an hour. Oh, wow. Okay. Very slow. She was navigating very cautiously. Okay. So in Australia, state and local governments are responsible for road construction and maintenance. Local roads, which are roads that provide local circulation and access, are the responsibility of local councils to fund. So Dalgwegan Road is a local road maintained by the Tweed Valley Local Council. During weather events, the council relies on reports from staff and the general public to inform road closures and the primary tool for reporting road closures to the public is a website known as My Road Info. Is it now? Apparently. (laughs) Okay. That's a new one. Remember, this is in New South Wales, so. Fair. Yeah, true. It's probably different in Queensland, although I don't know what it is in Queensland either. I drive down them and there's either a big sign telling me it's closed or there isn't. Or there's not. Mm. Exactly right. But maybe I am not the best influence on this information. (laughs) (laughs) So it appears that Dalgugan Road was inundated with water and it was impassable for several days, including on the 1st and 2nd of April 2017. So that was the two days prior. Okay. Despite this, the road was not closed at any time during this March-April 2017 flood. Even when the river broke its banks. And Even when the river up. broke its banks and it was impassable, they never actually actioned a road closure. And is that because it was just a random sort of back road that... No. Well, if you look oh, at okay. Google Maps, like it is a long... It's a lengthy road. I mean, she had driven 10.8 kilometres. Along it. Along, along it, the yeah, road true. by this point. So yeah. it's a long road. Was it just like an understanding that the local community knew that it was next to the river, so just don't drive down there? Like, well, a lot of the locals did drive along there yeah. because a lot I mean, of them had these near misses. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So maybe they didn't close it because that way people couldn't get to their houses. No, we'll get into why they didn't okay. close it, and there's not really a good reason. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So. This road is prone to flooding. However, the extent of the silt and mud washed up from the Tweed River uh, was far greater after this flood than it had been in the past. And the council was not aware that it would cause such a significant hazard as it did. Mm. So the manager of roads and stormwater for the Tweed Valley Council gave evidence at the inquest. He acknowledged that in accordance with council procedures at the time, Dalguigan Road should have been closed as it was covered in water. In 2017, the procedure for the council to close the road required them to put a physical sign on the road to say it was closed and to post an alert on that My Road Info website. The road was not closed, largely because the manager was operating on restricted staff resources as the flooding made it difficult for many staff to attend work. Because they lived on the road. Because they lived on all these roads that were now impassable. Yeah, right. So evidence the council was so overwhelmed by this flood event that they did not have the resources to affect road closures in accordance with the procedures in place at the time. That, look, yeah, that's really hard to... Yeah. <laughs> Especially in an emergency mm. situation. Like, what are you meant to do when you yeah. don't have the resources? To do it. And exactly. would they have reopened it once the flooding went away? Like, could the road have been closed and then opened again once the flood waters went down and the mud was still there? From my experience, though, is that... I mean, in the recent floods we've had, there was a street near us. It was closed for a lot longer, even though flood water had gone away because it had so much mud and silt that they yeah, had okay. to wait. So because they knew it was closed, they didn't reopen it until it was safe. Yeah, mm-hmm. gotcha. There was no sign at any time saying yeah. you can't 
pass this. It's just that they couldn't physically pass it because yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. And so I think the problem is that if you've got someone closing it because it's defined by a flood, mm. the reopening of it is then going to be defined by its safety yeah, versus gotcha. if you're not closing it in the first place. Yes. Then there's nothing to stop you from driving down it. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose you'd hope that they would sort of survey the road before they reopened it to make sure it was all good, there wasn't yeah. any giant potholes or yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. erosions or, yeah. And, I mean, these are all hypotheticals because exactly. it just yeah. was never closed yeah. in the first place. I remember uh, Stephanie was not that familiar with this road because Fair. it was one of the back roads she normally didn't take. She only took it because the road that she usually took was closed. Was closed. Mm. Yeah, okay. And it was presumably there was a sign saying physically it was, saying it was closed. So she might have not been familiar with this road and knew that there was certain hazards on it after floods Yeah, that maybe yep. locals would have been. But, again... If you don't know those things, the obligation isn't really with the driver, is it? Like if the if there's dangers on the road, there really should be signage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, she was out trying to do a, a good thing in that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, but also was the road that she would normally take closed because that was one of the more main roads that they mm. had, in fact, been able to get I to. Think so. Yeah, but the one that more people travel down versus the one that's closer to the banks of the river. Mm. It's that catch-22 of which one do you try to prioritise mm-hmm. in terms of the safety, which when you're understaffed, you have to pick the one that you can get to because you've got enough staff to do one road closure today. So you pick the one that most people are travelling down. It's mm. such a hard decision. Yeah, it is tricky. And it doesn't go into any um, discussion about what the decision-making process was yeah. at this point in time. It just says that they were overwhelmed. Yeah. And so it was just, it didn't even say it was omitted, like, or, you know, it had been raised with them and they just didn't put the sign out. It was just, Mm. it wasn't closed. They did note that the New South Wales State Emergency Services, so the SES, which is the lead combat agency for flood rescue operations across New South Wales, had 496 flood rescue jobs reported in the area. Wow. At that time. So it's saying there was a lot, yeah, a lot That's going huge. on. Mm-hmm. Especially for a, you know, relatively small area. It's not a main city by any means. So evidence was given in the inquest that substantial actions had been taken by the council since the accident. Most notably, they had installed a 220-metre guardrail on the riverside of Dulguigan Road, extending across the crash site and beyond on either side, so putting that physical barrier in between the road and the river. You said you'd been driving along it for like 10K, though. Mm-hmm. Like, So they'd put 220 metres just Obviously, because that's where she came off, but yeah, but consider again, looking you, at other areas that may also have needed a barrier. But if again, if you look at Google Maps, that's where um, that's I, it does hug the river, the river just f- at that point. Uh, uh, it's, the at some road. different points yeah. along. Okay, yeah. okay. so it's not yeah. uh, it doesn't the road doesn't run along the river the entire time. Okay, yeah. So cool. it's I just really unfortunate. And as I said, like the sergeant had skidded off the road, but he'd only. Hit some grass Hit or whatever. Hit some grass. Yeah, okay. Because that was yeah, the point in the road spot. where he slid. Mm. Yeah, whereas unfortunately. That was the closest point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I think that was one of the more dangerous points okay. of the river. They have also conducted training for nine additional staff to use the My Road Info website to increase council's capacity to publish road closure information on the website. Excellent. But I mean... You know, that doesn't help with the physical barriers, but in yeah, this sort of situation, it's hard because if there's road closures, then people can't get out there to put the physical barriers in either. Yeah. And yep. not everyone's checking the website to see, is the road I'm going to exactly travel on closed? Right. You do rely on that physical notification that this road is closed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, how do you get it out there to people to know, okay, if you're living in this area, check this website, especially around these times where there's floods or weather events and stuff like that. So I guess there's a bit of both. You need to promote both options. Mm-hmm. There's both ways of safety though as well. Mm-hmm. And in that vein, um, they'd launched a new emergency dashboard website, which provides members of the community with a centralised source of information during emergencies. So it links all the different external websites, like the My nice. Road Info, okay. the SES website, BOMB as Excellent. well. So all oh, the cool. different, yeah, they launched a new sort of interface to help the community out with mm. sourcing information in those kind of emergencies. And they also revised their flood procedure, which introduced a flood spotters program where the council will proactively call flood spotters in the community rather than wait for people to contact the council to report that there's certain floods. So these flood spotters will be, you know, volunteers in the community who live on that road that sometimes floods and they will then call up the council and be like, hey. Where are you at? How how high is the water at this point? Yeah, exactly right. When are we closing this road? Okay. Exactly right. Yeah, cool. That's, so having that that's sort of community engagement as well. Kind of like a neighbourhood watch but for floods. But for floods. For roads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also it's it's less on the neighbourhood to input to that information. Yeah, it's, it's the council checking in with them. I'm actively like, reaching out to you saying right. tell yep. me where your house is at in terms yep. of floods so that we can Tell me where the road documented. is so we can, yeah. you know, put a blast out that People shouldn't be travelling on this road. Yeah. Nice. Because, I mean, those people presumably are, are dealing with their own, you know, yeah. I need to protect my own property and well, that exactly kind of stuff. Right. They don't have time to reach out. But mm-hmm. if someone's given them a quick call, mm. easy done, exactly taking right. care It's of. not on their front of mind to be yeah. reporting this, but if the council's been more proactive with it. That's awesome. Yeah. So the coroner acknowledged that these proactive steps made by the council were great, but noted that there was more that could have been done to protect the public. So the coroner made several recommendations for the Tweedshire Council, including that it should consider conducting a study of roads within the council area to identify particular hazards that occur on those roads during and following floods in order to develop strategies and try and mitigate such hazards in the future. So again, I think that also falls into that flood spotters program, them knowing which roads are prone to flooding yeah, and then, you know, putting strategies in place. Yeah there's going to be a heavy rain event. We're just going to go out and proactively be like, this road Mm. will flood, this road will flood, this road will flood based on this weather event. Mm -hmm. Don't go down these roads until we clarify that they're safe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The coroner also recommended that the road spotters program be updated from what it already had been to increase the number of road spotters who live in areas adjacent to known road flooding locations and that clear instructions are provided to those volunteers on when the council should be notified including during times of flooding and when mud and silt are present on the roads. So just giving them very clear guidance about, okay, yeah, you know, if you are concerned about the state of the road, like this is when you should call. So it's not just yep. if it's completely impassable, like yep. if there is mud and silt or like a tree branch or whatever yep. across the road also notify us. She also recommended that consideration be given to placing permanent warning signs on both ends of Dulguigan Road, alerting users to hazards from mud and silt following floods. Seems fair. Yeah. So instead of having to put mm. those temporary signs up, just being like, hey, if there's been a recent flood. Be careful. Be careful. Think again. So in the coroner's final remarks, she noted that several family members spoke at the inquest. So Stephanie's brother, John, expressed his hopes that some positive outcomes could come out of the inquest to prevent this tragedy, pain and loss that they have suffered as a family and community from happening to others. He also paid tribute to the first responders that day, saying, 
To the police of whom on the day were involved in responding to the accident, the detectives who have shown us compassion and respect over this difficult time, and to all members of the Tweed Byron Police Department who have supported us since the tragedy, you have our heartfelt thanks. That's nice. That that is really nice. Yeah, so it's interesting reading through this coroner's report because, you know, when you read through these things, you sometimes have some sort of sense of detachment from them, but I think this Mm. is the first one I've read that I may have shed a tear reading it and I think it's because and maybe because this coroner put a lot of emphasis on the emotion behind the incident and the impact that it had Mm. on Matthew who was the partner and Chloe the child who survived and obviously put a lot of emphasis on how brave Chloe was in her actions and how brave the community members were in their actions rallying around the family and you know especially at the time trying to assist however futile their efforts were Mm. in jumping in the river and also putting those comments in from the family um, as well talking about you know we really hope that in this tragedy some good can come out of it Mm. or at least hopefully can prevent this kind of thing from happening to other families in the future but obviously just devastating that it happened to a young family yeah, children involved. I can children totally see. involved. Like when you were just mentioning that, you know, this one where you you felt really emotional, I was like, yeah, mm. probably also because it's got that involvement of children. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And the coroner talked about, you know, how devoted Stephanie was to her children and how much she loved her children and she would have never put them, she would have never driven along those roads had, had she known. known the dangers. Yep. Yeah. It was just unfortunately that was, you know, the road to get home and – driving back from running some errands and unfortunately lost because she wasn't doing anything wrong she was Mm. driving very cautiously very slowly just hit a a slippery patch and just in the wrong spot and and um absolutely tragic everyone was wearing their seat belts as well which is always you know always advocate wearing seat belts and safety and things like that but in these circumstances did it make it harder for them to get out makes it harder for them to get out and she was obviously doing the best she could to try and help all of them get out. Hey? Yes, she obviously got one child out and just trying yeah. to get the others out. Yeah. But I do also wonder, like, the fact that one of the windows got smashed in, did that then make the car sink faster? Flood faster. You would think because the water would. is actually coming in faster yeah. rather than just getting in through, through the seals, seals of the doors. Yeah. But also there would have been no other way for them to get out. As well. Had mm. the window not smashed. So, Yeah. Mm. That's and the coroner remarked that's the way that Chloe got out got of the out. car was yeah. through yeah. that smashed window. I think there's this fine line around how much emotive involvement should happen in an mm. inquest. And I like hearing your side of that emotional response in the sense that she put that effort in the the coroner reporting this one. I certainly felt that when I was reading Ewan Williamson, a a Mm -hmm. hyperthermia case where there was so much talk around how dedicated the the responders had been to helping save a life, Mm -hmm. even if they ultimately had uh, been unsuccessful. And so it's one of those hard ones as well. I imagine it's really difficult for a coroner because it is a factual report in Mm -hmm. order to make change for safety. Mm -hmm. But you can't ever entirely remove that emotive portion of of someone passing away. Mm. Nor would you want to completely remove that emotion behind mm. it because these were people 
and they lived lives. Must be a really hard job to be a coroner if you're having to deal with these very emotional Mm -hmm. elements that I'm sure they probably have to compartmentalise some of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But it's nice that they can then include those little bits of detail. Yeah, that's right. And this one, it was interesting. It was structured a little bit differently than the different coroner's reports from different states. This one had sort of less background information about the victims but did sort of go through sort of the, I guess, the dedication of the family and things like that as the report was going on. So, yes, that is the inquest into the deaths of Stephanie, King, Ella Jane and Jacob Kabilo. A very sad one and unfortunately something that we hear about all too much, especially in parts of the world that flood. I mean, every time there's a flood event, you hear of someone getting trapped in a car. Yeah, people getting yeah. washed away. Mm. Try- and, again, it's often people trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. in terms of trying to do that community-based task. You know, re- and rescue effort, trying to help, you Others. know, a neighbour. And- yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this could have easily ended up worse when you hear of those neighbours who tried to help mm. by diving into the water. You sort of think, oh, I completely understand, like, you're just wanting to get in there and help, but... It's risky. Absolutely. And so, yeah, take away from this that floodwaters are so dangerous Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to predict how deep that water is Mm -hmm. when it looks like just a shallow pool as well. I think that's one thing I definitely learned with the recent floods is, oh, yeah, that just looks like a small stream, but actually it's flowing really fast and it's actually much, much deeper than you realise. And you just don't know what's under there as well. I mean, I know floodwaters can ruin bitumen. Yeah. So you think you're just driving over a little, like, stream and all of a sudden the bitumen under it's completely ruined and you're driving through potholes and damaging your car and getting stuck in there. And And even, obviously, the dangers after the floodwaters have gone Mm -hmm. down. Yeah. The road doesn't need to be flooded for it to be dangerous. So be careful out there and remember what's the slogan? If it's flooded, forget it. Yep. Oh, is it? Cool. Have yeah. you not heard of that? No. Oh. Well, the messaging is clearly not getting out well. It's a thing. I will remember that. All right. Thank you very Thanks. much. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.